0: And we are back again for another episode of the Cinema Recall Podcast. This is the Cinema Recall Podcast, which can be found on thatmomentsin.com. I am your host, The Vern. Hey, everybody. It's The Vern here, just stopping on here really fast. Just to let you know that this particular episode of Cinema Recall was recorded way back when we are still posting episodes for ThatMomentIn.com. No longer doing that, but I still highly recommend you check out their site. There's a lot of great uh, writers on there and contributors and a lot of great articles. Highly recommend it. Uh, So yeah, so for this episode, join with uh, Paul Hawkins from the Blockbusters podcast and Family Fortunes to discuss The Fifth Element. There are going to be ad spots from other podcasts that may may not have new content but i still recommend you check out their other shows and so yeah all of the um promotional things at the end where i say where to find our show is uh probably has been changed and also what we promote has most likely been changed so just just remind you cinema recall we're found on uh, anchor spotify stitcher radio uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, of course, social media. We are on Twitter, at Cinema Recall. And then on Facebook and Instagram, just type in Cinema Recall Podcast. But enjoy the show, everyone. Bye. And on today's episode, we are going to be looking back at the 1997 sci-fi extravaganza, The Fifth Element, directed by Luc Besson and starring Bruce Willis and Mili Jolovich, uh, Chris Tucker... Ian Holm. Uh, I, I know these are the people that I'm forgetting about, but that's okay because I brought on my good guest, uh, Paul Hawkins from the blockbuster's podcast to help me out with that. Uh, hello, sir.
1: Hello. And yes, just, uh, just to name the one you did forget, you were forgetting Gary Oldman there.
0: Gary, oh, Gary Oldman. Fuck, the, the <laughs> biggest name in that movie. Too. I cannot believe I messed up and forgot Gary <laughs> Oldman. It's funny too because I remember uh one of the actors in this uh believe he, oh, what the was his name now he was in uh there's something about Mary he played Irvin in this he has a small role in this and I'll tell you about his name later on when we go into this movie a little bit here um but yeah uh, fifth element here uh it's before a sci-fi film uh directed by Luc Besson this was his follow up uh to the professional and you know i have to say and correct me if i'm wrong paul but I think this was the only really big blockbuster that Luc Besson himself directed.
1: I would say so, yeah, and to be 100% honest, this is also my only Luc Besson film that I'd seen for most of my life because I just never had the chance to see any of his others. So <laughs> oh.
0: it's,
1: well, it's kind
0: of <laughs> grow, growing up there, I mean, I, I remember seeing La Femme Nikita because we had a, my dad brought home a dubbed VHS tape of La Fenwickita. Ah. So I remember seeing that. And then, like, I remember the professional came out and I saw, I re- I recognized the director's name. And I had no idea that La Fenwickita was actually a French film. I just thought right. the actors were speaking really bad English. So then I found <laughs> out there actually was an original subtitle version of that. But like, oh, well, I gotta check that out. Uh,. <laughs> And I saw The Professional, and I was blown away by that movie. In fact, we could do another whole episode about all the great scenes there. And when this came out to theaters, I had to go like, right away check this out. And I felt it like it's so cool with my friends because I was the only one that knew about Luc Besson and everything. and you know, <laughs> They were going to see it because there was a cute redhead who was wearing practically next to nothing and... Uh, and so like, give me give me your kind of your first thoughts about the movie. You know, like when you saw it, or would you think of it now still? Or all
1: hey, right, well, I to be honest, I can't remember if I saw it in the cinema, but I definitely remember watching this. And I think this was the first real action film that I kind of enjoyed. And I'm sure it was the the science fiction element to that that really helped because. I tend to find action films a little on the boring side mm-hmm. but this one really kept my attention uh, especially with Gary Oldman before I knew who Gary Oldman was just being that really weird <laughs> villain yeah. and then uh, as we'll talk about in a bit just Ruby Rod oh, yes. <laughs> that just that character in and of itself kind of makes the film for me so <laughs> So yeah I, I very much enjoyed this and I'm always surprised when someone says they haven't seen it because I feel like most of the people that I grew up with saw it and some of them liked it some of them didn't and so it was it was one of those things of maybe not everyone liked it but everyone saw it and then I ran into a bunch of people that were like oh, "The album? no I haven't seen that it's like you haven't seen it? How how have you not seen it? I don't get it.
0: This is like probably one of Bruce Willis's best action roles because growing up <laughs> with my friends, we used to watch like the first three diehards like all the time. So then we found about this movie where Bruce Willis is in space. We'd all got said <laughs> it because alright, well this would be really kinda of funny. He's kind of out of his element. In fact I, I uh saw a review, I read a review, uh someone stated in that uh the this movie, The Fifth Element, is a better Die Hard movie than Die Hard 5.
2: Um,
0: <laughs> I, I think it was the site Movies with Mikey. Uh, if you go onto YouTube, uh, it's from the site Chainsaw uh, Productions something like that. But yeah, Movies with Mikey. Yeah, I, yeah, you said that on there, it made total sense. Because uh, for those of you that don't know what The Fifth Element is about, I'm going to give just a quick little recap like I do on all of our episodes. All right, so... Bruce Willis is the cab driver named Corbin Dallas, and he's kind of down on his luck. You know, he's about ready to get his uh, cab taken away. Oh, fun note too, uh, the voice of, I guess, his mob boss, his buddy that gives him jobs, that's been Diesel. And I guess he was uncredited for that role. Hmm. So, uh, so anyways, at one night here, he's you know driving his cab, and this girl literally falls into his bat seat. Now, a bad story on the girl that fell into his bad seat. Um, Well, you find out earlier back in Egypt that there are these five entities. Uh, There's, like, uh, fire, uh, wind, uh, water, air. I'm sure Captain Planet's in here, but he's not. Uh, Heart, uh, no. But there's, the, the the fifth element is, like, this, like, being. And when all these elements come together they can help defeat evil. And so, cut to the future, evil is now on its way to the city, or to this future. I thought, I, I'm i pretty sure we're not Earth, but it's like a future Earth. Uh, it's basically, I, I was listening to the Shat uh, um, uh, That Movie podcast, and someone said on there that it's basically Blade Runner with the lights turn on. It's like, Blade Runner <laughs> during the day. And I, I, I have to agree with that right there. Uh, but anyways, uh they have to basically bring... There's like the ship of all these aliens and they have to bring uh, her down but then they get attacked by some other aliens and she. They, the ship gets destroyed but for some reason they found a glove with their DNA in there and the scientist was able to use their scientific mojo, mojo Jojo to bring her back and she just confused about where she is because she's in prison and therefore she jumps into uh, Bruce, Cal- Bruce Willis's cab and he, bas- they basically try to find out more about who she is. And she tries to find out who she is. And they find out that you know she's this big savior. And they have to try to retrieve these other stones. And the only scenes we're going to be talking about this flick here is mainly the scenes of like Ruby Rod's uh, introduction to this. And the big diva opera singer dance. Um, and the big fight that... Milya has, okay? Uh, I, I think I was pretty right with that description. Was I, did I miss anything here with that description? Uh,
1: no, uh, that, the two things I was going to say was I enjoyed the Powerpuff Girls reference you managed to throw in there, and uh, also... <laughs> oh,
0: I was doing oh, Captain Planet.
1: Well, you, I mean, you did Captain Planet, but then you also said the Mojo Jojo. Which is, uh, <laughs> uh, and then also the uh, as much as i like the film i'm perfectly willing to point out when it's kind of uh what the hell and uh yeah the whole thing of they managed to make lilu who turned out to be the fifth element from the hand of someone who was driving a ship that exploded um yeah not 100 sure how they did that but anyway
0: i <laughs> did I, I have some questions, too, about where was that hand been, all right? I don't know. <laughs> There's yeah. going on there. Oh, but Here's a weird thing, too, about this film, too, because uh, – well, no, I, I got to save that. I'm, I'm jumping ahead of myself here. I apologize. <laughs> um, well, let's do this like we always do. Uh, we're going to take a quick little break right now. We're going to play some ads from some other great podcast shows and we'll be back on Cinema Recall to talk about the future scenes from The Fifth Element.
2: We'll return after these messages. Warning, the following promo contains strong language and 90s movies some may find offensive. Listener discretion is advised. Do you remember the films of the 90s? The cinematic classics that changed movie history forever. The films that created treasured memories to last a lifetime. Who in the right minds is this fucking film aimed at? The video-negative podcast remembers things differently. Fucking diet. My God. Absolute idiot. Ah, They couldn't even get the fucking colours right. Fucking atrocious. We're a film review podcast that looks at the worst cinematic atrocities of the 90s. Just end it. Just end it. It's just woeful. There's no clear... This doesn't even have the pretense of wanting to be a good movie. From the biggest blockbusters to the smallest indie flicks, it's all shit and it's all game. This This isn't preteen crap. Criminally poor. Fucking awful. Film is a Panic at the Disco music video (laughs) on loop. Video Negative Podcast, the film review show that criticizes the chronic, disses the dismal, and puts the pathetic out to pasture. I am not wasting any more of my oxygen on this film. Check us out on SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, and iTunes, and hit us up on Twitter at Video Negative.
0: I'm Clint. And I'm Jared. And we're the hosts of the podcast, Hollywood, Your source for inebriation. Which you're not listening to right now, because this is just a promo for a weekly podcast on all kinds of movies. New, old, good, bad. Yeah, especially bad. Plus, we invent a cocktail and a drinking game inspired by each film. And sometimes we make jokes. Not this time, but sometimes. Subscribe to us on your favorite podcatcher and check out the whole shebang at
2: AlkaHollywood.com. This podcast is a proud member of the Lamb Podcasting Network. Find the network at largeassmovieblogs.com. Here he is, the one and only winner of the Gemini
0: Crockett Contest. This boy is huge, like fire! Don't stop melting, ladies, because the boy is hotter than hot. He's hot. hot, hot, hot.
2: Right am right hands, right on. Right on, right on. Right on, right on. And he's got something to say to those 15 billion pair out there. Pop it, D-Man. Uh, I... Unbelievable. <laughs> Winner, ladies, wither.
0: He's going to set the world on fire. Right here, from 5 to 7, you know
2: everything. There is to know about that D- D-Man.
0: D-Man. His dream, his desire, his most intimate, of intimates. And what I'm looking at, intimate is the Stud Muffin's middle name. So tell me, my man, you in the service?
2: Uh, not really.
0: Welcome back, everybody, to the Cinema Recall Podcast here on ThatMomentIn.com. Uh, so getting into the first session here of the movie, I think we have to basically introduce The sequence when Ruby Rod is first introduced. I mean that whole sequence when he's doing his radio show and Bruce Willis as Corbin Dallas has really no idea of what's going on there. In fact, I wouldn't be willing I wouldn't be surprised if that was like their first meeting together or seeing Chris Tucker in those roles right there. Now, you have to understand they're folks too that uh Chris Tucker uh was I think he was mainly known for doing like, you know, realistic characters. He's never actually played a a full out character like this. I mean, I know some people can say that his role on Friday was a completely out there character, but I I don't think so. Let's let's hear for you, Paul. What would you think about this?
1: Um Well, I mean it's, it's kind of difficult for me now. Like whenever I think of Chris Tucker, it, it he is just Ruby Rod to me. So it's like I, every time I see him, it's just it's the hair, it's the strutting walk. Every time I've seen any of the Rush Hours, it's like oh, he's just doing a toned down version of Ruby yeah. Rod. <laughs> the, the
0: way he gets the people to go away. That zzz, zzz. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and yeah, and the whole thing where it's almost a send-off of all of these people that are kind of C-list celebrities, but they think they're A-plus celebrities. Like, it's just, they're, uh, I think it's best when he's walking down doing his radio and he's just got this paintbrush that so he just drapes across all these pictures of himself. Like, here we go, I'm signing, but I'm not really signing.
0: <laughs> okay, who were those Japanese schoolgirls? I
1: don't that
0: know. Right there. I, I have no idea, but they were just lining up in front of his doorway there. I'm like, and there were like, his only fans that were like lining up were like these young, like middle school age <laughs> schoolgirls. It was weird.
1: Yeah, and uh, uh, what one of the things that I found interesting watching it again just for this, is I would never really paid attention, but every single stewardess really is identical. It's, it's just yeah he he knocks the one away with his walking stick microphone and then he turns around the corner and it's like did she just move round here i, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs>
0: the different girl <laughs> what the hell happened here
1: yeah but <laughs> it i i find it difficult to know where to start with the scene really <laughs> it's just it's pure energy yeah, it, which this... is so much fun <laughs>
0: This is the part of the movie where allowed the comedic elements comes into it. Uh, it's very fast-paced. Uh, the way the camera trashed a lot of different shots uh, during the sequence right there. Uh, this is a scene you just gotta sit back and just watch uh, Chris Tucker. And I really wish that on the DVD or when this movie is being promoted, I kind of wish they did have a Ruby Rod hour. I would, yeah. love, to, I would love to hear a podcast of Ruby Rod. <laughs> And him doing the things they did there, but here's the weird thing too. I guess they originally tried to get uh, I guess it was like Prince and Lenny Kravitz hmm. to be cast in here. And I watched interviews with Chris uh, Chris, Chris, Tuck, Chris Tucker. I think I almost called him Chris Rock, and I apologize. So Chris Tucker even said uh, that he was trying to do impersonations of both Prince and Michael Jackson. And it's one of those those examples where the impression of someone else is a lot better than the actual actor playing that. (laughs) Because I I guarantee you, Prince would not be as, you know, out there and flamboyant as Chris Tucker is because Chris Tucker is doing, you know, what he thinks, you know, Prince is all about. You know, Prince is all about being flamboyant, but he still gets the ladies and whatnot there, so.
1: Yeah, well, you know, if... Prince had agreed to do it, he probably would have played it serious.
0: Exactly. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and that that would not have worked. <laughs> no,
0: not at all there. Uh, but I, I really kind of like the whole fact when, you know, because Chris Tucker is like, you know, his mouth moves at a mile a minute. And yeah. whenever he tries to get uh, Bruce Willis as Corman Dallas to talk, uh, Bruce Willis only has just one line.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think my my favourite bit is the second time he tried to do it. A again where he just he knocks the stewardess out of the corridor with the stick, just goes straight up to his mouth and just like, What do you think? We're gonna learn it and he just goes, uh, not really. Uh-huh. <laughs> Are you nervous in the service? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> yeah, so it. Uh-huh. It's so brilliantly points out like this is the Exact opposite of Corbin Dallas.
0: <laughs> <This is laughs> John McLean. All right, it's basically John McLean. All right, yeah. whole Podcast. Oh, I should be calling him John McLean instead. Yeah. But, well, but
1: I, I, think we can say right here and now that it is definitely his descendant, that it is <laughs> Corbin Dallas.
0: So I do want to you one more thing about the scene here. All right, so he goes to that one lady, uh, and I guess well, one of the stewards is a. Like, he starts saying, and I could not even pick up on all things, but he's starts to his talk with her. He's like, "Your man. My man. <laughs> me, man. Uh, he starts like, oh, <laughs> I'm like, I have no idea what's working right there, but I I might try and watch this movie again with the subtitles because I'm yeah. going to learn those lines. <laughs> <laughs> licking
2: his Cause is because this going to have you riding home to mama right here from 5 to 7 I'll be your voice and I'll be hot on the trail of the sexiest man in the year demon, your
1: man man <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah it's it, like it, his voice in this is very much like uh, sort of Gilbert Gottfried-esque like it's just completely stands out from everyone else like <laughs> you know it's him straight away the second he starts talking uh, so, I and mean, given that he's the loudest person in the room as well so.
0: so so basically if like uh um uh Gilbert Gottfried was a set symbol he would be in this world <laughs> <laughs> pretty much <laughs> fair enough there that
1: would be a very different
0: film <laughs> yes uh uh so now you know we're we are trying to get into our main sequence and this is the diva sequence, all right um, now, yes, I do know that the sequence was actually shot at the uh, World Opera House um, and before we actually do get into the whole opera number, um, there is a small little sequence where Ruby Rod is doing his show and he's introducing uh, Corbin Dallas. Uh, to, you know, the place the opera is, and he's going around the room, uh, he introduces him to, uh, I forgot his name, but this really famous composer, the singer, that won't be able to hear anything because he's stone deaf, and then he finds some, like, he shows him some prime minister's daughter, and she's like, I have her singing, uh, singing devil, singing demo, if you want to hear it, and it's just her having an orgasm, um, and he's just kind of going around the room right there, doing the whole Ruby Rod right there. Uh, what did you think about that little part right there before we get into the actual opera? Uh,
1: and it was it was really fun because, like, like I said, like Ruby Rod just kind of made the film for me, so just more Ruby Rod, which is fantastic. Yeah, uh, and. And me being partially deaf, I did find it really funny, that thing where he is just yelling at the person, like, what' won't be able to hear it because he's don't." <laughs> and the guy just goes, huh? What? Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that, that part was really cool, especially since it really shows how much Corbin Dallas can get under his skin when he says another one-word line before sitting down. You just see him just... Screaming internally before yelling to go to commercial. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, and then uh,
0: then we have the sequence where the curtains open and uh, the diva shows up there, and this diva's full blue, got the big old blue dreadlocks, you know, wonderful dress right there, uh, and she goes into this beautiful opera. I can tell you though uh, that the actress who played the diva, the maître appear, here, uh, her name is Mai Wen, and she was married to Luke Basson at the time. And then,
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> and then during shooting, uh, Luke Basson and Mila Jolovic uh, started having a side action going on, and then they got married right after the shoot of this movie. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, do the sequence of this. Uh, it's my win, as it. I'm probably saying her name wrong, and I apologize. Uh, she was a lady in the outfit. Um, the actual person singing the actual song was a very, a uh, pretty famous uh, soprano singer named Inva Mula. If I'm saying that right there, uh, and even though. Probably well even though like my when, like her voice was dubbed during the actual production of you know the fifth element she actually did sing the songs and she practiced you know over several weeks just to get all the right pitch and enunciations of those words there i, 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 want, I want i want i want to tell you my feelings about the scene here paul but i want to hear what you felt about the scene when you saw it, or what do you remember most about the scene? Uh,
1: well, I can definitely tell you that what I took away from the scene when I first saw it versus what I take away from it now are two very different things. Because okay, when I first saw it, I was younger, and I was more focusing on the fight scene. And it, I just thought it was kind of cool that they had a fight scene that was going on during the the latter half of this opera, where it starts to get more rocky and techno and kind of uh, a, a little out there. And I always thought, oh, that's really cool. That That's what I remembered from it most. And, of course, the, uh, the, the really different fighting mm-hmm. uh, than anything I'd seen before. Whereas now, having been to study film studies at university and just being a lover of film, I now fully understand just how well made this scene was like just how they clearly choreographed the fight around the song and it's just so well done where they do keep cutting back and forth at pretty much just the right time i think it's almost a master class oh it is very much this little thing uh so yeah like uh, when you got a hold of me to say hey we're good like doing the fifth element what scene do you want to do i pretty much I didn't have any other scene that popped into my head other than this one until I remembered Ruby Rock. Yeah. Yeah, this this scene is the one we need to talk about.
0: I definitely want to get more into the actual fight sequence, but I want to start with that one opera sequence because this is the moment, no matter how many times I've seen this with my friends or whatnot there. Because during the movie, you know, we all can be talking with each other and kind of laughing, you know, because we watch this movie many times. But no matter how many times you watch it, when uh the diva starts singing, the whole room becomes quiet. It's like automatic. Once that curtain opens and you hear those first two notes right there and she sits up right there, we can have like a big long conversation. Everyone in the room shuts their mouth when she sings the first few bars. And we have to just be yeah. quiet and just watch it. And when I saw this when I was younger, I, I, I knew nothing about opera at all. I think I've seen my mom watch it a few times, but we were never big, like, opera lovers. So I knew something of the genre, but it's not something I just stayed and watched. But when she steps out and you hear those few notes right there, I was like, all right, I'm shutting up. And I am just in awe. <laughs> and here's the cool thing, too. That reaction that Bruce Willis has on his face, that was the actual natural reaction because they kept uh, my win enclosed. No one actually got a chance to see her in makeup before the scene shots. So when the curtains open and she steps out on stage for those audience shots, and you see Bruce Willis, that is his actual like real reaction to seeing that
1: that character yeah and it there's not a lot of films that are able to really do that anymore, mm-hmm. i i feel because it's always best to have the somewhat natural reaction because you know, no matter how good an actor someone is when you just have that natural feel to it you can you know 99% of the time you can tell so it's, it's such a well done seen all around there, I would feel by Bazan. Like he seemed to know his stuff.
0: Yeah. <laughs> he's, uh, he's he's kind of a prick when it comes to cheating on people there. But hey, he's a wonderful filmmaker, so I'm not I'm not gonna give him a shit about that, right? Uh but yeah. but, but hey, but whatever words to make a great film, I'm all for it, buddy. All right. But I I <laughs> I do like the fact that it is kind of undercut because during the fight sequence is intercut with this because during the sequence I don't know who the names of the bad guy aliens, the shapeshifter alien dudes are. Uh, so isn't it like uh, the Morg- like The Ma- Mangalos? Mangalos like or something like that, yeah. Uh, but they try to infiltrate her because they want to get the stones back. And she just starts kicking all sorts of ass. And you're right. It is a masterclass in editing because you have the diva. She was doing this big opera number. And then she breaks off into like this pop, techno, mashup of opera and dance music, and the way the diva moves on stage, does her little dance, it kind of matches up with you know Lilu doing her ass kicking and everything. like the fact too that there's like one sequence where she does like a high kick and that was a movie prop that, that happened with yeah. that I, I, I thought it'd be kind of cool that you use like old school like movie techniques um, and apparently that sequence took like pretty lo- I guess a long time to film because she had to uh practice with a, all the stunt doubles before they put all the makeup on and had to do it again with the makeup on there there's a lot of like visual comedy of like her like doing like a Three Stooges slapping into the face <laughs> and poking on yeah, their eyes.
1: I, I, I rewatched this scene specifically for this, and there's there, a couple of things that s- stood out to me. Um, which actually, number one, is at the end of the fight, it seems as though there's still one or two left that she hasn't beaten up, but that's only because of like. I think one editing choice that I thought was a bit odd, but also when she, that she's halfway through the fight and these three other guys burst into the room, it kind of looked like they're coming out of the toilet. Type thing. <laughs> it's, like, it all, it, it's, it's almost um, Vincent coming out of the toilet in Pulp Fiction yeah. type thing where he's just kind of, huh? Right. <laughs> so. so, but uh, yeah, I I, I really do. I, I rewatched this twice in a row just uh, so I could just hear that song and see the the editing and all of that again. So because I enjoyed it so much. The song that the
0: diva scene's in the character of Diva is the Diva Pava Laguna is called the uh, yeah, Plava Laguna. They do. Sorry. <laughs> it's called the the, it's, the song <laughs> is called the Eldosa Dosa Suno and apparently it's an aria from the opera Lucia De Lamora uh, and all I know from it's supposed to be the most difficult arias because of the length um, now ah. okay so when it gets to the whole pop sequence in there and she's doing all her vocal different arrangements right there I knew the the director wanted to have you know uh, Inva, Inva Luna do all the like, weird different pitches with her voice And she says, Luke, there's no way. The human voice cannot possibly do that. So you know there's a few keyboards, elements, synthesizers added into it. But here's a cool thing, too. In fact, uh, I'll post it on Twitter uh, if I can find it again. Or on, uh, on hopefully, the uh, That Moment In uh, Facebook page. But there actually is a Japanese singer who does that opera. And she's able to do... All those different vocal changes that happen in the movie, but with just her own voice. Now she doesn't do it as quick as the diva does in the movie, but she's able to reach those pitches, and it's uh, it's quite an amazing feat. I I wish I knew her name, so I posted it online. But it's this Japanese singer, I don't know where her name is, and I'll I'll try and find it later. There, but. It, if you just type in on a YouTube uh, Fifth Element Live Singer, you you can find it there. But I found that to be amazing. Yeah,
1: that there, there was actually, uh, it, and again, I don't remember the name because I saw this about three years ago. There was another YouTuber who specifically does this sort of singing, and asked asked for you know people to say, hey, hey, what do you want me to sing? And everyone said this, so she did it, and she. Spot on, like the yeah. She, she had nothing else in there. She was able to do all of it by herself. So it was really cool to see.
0: Oh. yeah, and ha uh, huh. I think we talked about the opera right there. Uh, talked about the fight sequence. I, I do know that Mila Jolovich was nominated for uh, an MTV Movie Award for Best Fight. For Best fight. <laughs> I don't know what she. Uh, I I don't. I'm, I'm sure that's not probably the high pinnacle of anyone's and career you, you never want to be known as just being only nominated for an MTV Movie Award and losing
1: <laughs> an MTV Movie Award alright it's just <laughs> yeah <I> and <mean>, uh, <laughs> I I mean I had to say that in terms of like fight it's fun to watch and it's obviously perfectly choreographed around the song but in terms of Best fight? I wouldn't say it was. No, up there.
0: no. We never got to mention all the costumes when we were talking about uh, Ruby Rod's sequence there. Uh, but all the costumes were designed by uh, Paul Gautier, or I think, oh, gosh, holy his name right there. Oh, Jean Paul Gautier? Jean Paul Gautier. Thank you very much. Uh, Jean Paul Gautier. <laughs> and I remember him doing the costumes for uh, The City of Lost Children. And then I saw. He also did the... He also designed the Madonna cone bra. And, uh... I, I knew he did the costumes, for the costumes for this. And I find it funny. He's probably the only designer I recognized during an American Cycle. When, uh... Alright. <laughs> well, well, basically, uh, Patrick Bateman is carrying out uh, uh, Jared Leto's body and puts it into a trunk. And a guy passes by like, oh... Is that a John Paul Gaultier page, and so that's the only connection I have between this and American cycle is that one little sequence of his name there uh, but yeah I, I, I thought all of his uh costumes were really good in fact I'm kind of surprised I don't think this movie was ever uh picked up for a uh, best costume, which I kind of i'm I'm a little like a little bit surprised about I
1: thought I, I, if it yeah, came you, up, you would think. You would think that the costume design would definitely win. I, I, I want to know what the winner was then, if it wasn't even... Well, well one of your... Yes.
0: Yeah, No, it was, it was nominated for an Oscar, but only nominated for, like, Best Sound Effects Editing for the Oscars. Huh. It, yeah, nothing for costumes. I thought, well, this would be right up their alley. But then again, the Oscars during the 90s, you know, this ha- this came around the same year as, like... Uh, would have been like uh, would that have been the Titanic and English Patient and Amistad, uh, cause yeah,
1: yeah, but
0: because Titanic was ninety seven, wasn't <laughs> but it? Still, well, yeah, but you, don't, you know, you um, know, Academy people here, you know, they're gonna it's... pick like big, elegant costumes.
1: Yeah, and it, I and mean, I don't know. Now, I, I genuinely just really want to know who, <laughs> who won that year. So. Because um, like I think of this is when you get into the issue of when it comes to costumes. Like, okay, are you looking for costumes that best submerge you into the the time period that it's set in, or are you looking for costumes that stand out? And these what? costumes definitely stand out. They're so bright. They're so like so brilliant for the characters that they're in. I mean, Ruby Rod's outfits are just fantastic to look at. Uh, and Plava Laguna looks fantastic so I you know, yeah, I think this film was chipped in terms of honor well, I, Oscar at nominations least, <laughs> at least
0: for you know the costumes right there in fact I'm just trying to find right now exactly uh, who it actually was for best costume so basically no, best costume went to the English patients and I was right the other nominees they were all period dramas we got Hamlet We have Emma. We have The Portrait of a Lady. And Angels and Insects were the other nominees. But these are all, you know, 17th century type of period dramas. There really was no originality. And that's what I mean. During that time, uh, Academy voters would be a little put off by, you know, stuff like this. They would think it was too MTV style and... You know, too out there, too weird for, you know, Academy voters. So, yeah. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so right there. Uh, I, I don't know really what else to say about the sequence here. If you've never seen the fulfillment Element, folks who's listening, I do recommend seeing it, though. Do you think... I'll ask you this, Paul. If this movie was released today, do you think it would be as good... As it was back then. Because um, this movie was huge when it came out. It was a pretty good blockbuster.
1: Yeah. Um, to be honest, I think if this film was made today, there would be so much less practical effects in it that it would kind of just become yet another like CG, epic type thing where I feel that it was made at just the right time before the computer graphics were getting cheap enough that people were trying to use them more so they really only used them when they absolutely had to and then everything else is physical so i i think that the film was made at exactly the right time and if they made it now like you wouldn't have bruce willis as corbin dallas and therefore i don't think you would have the same tone as you would if you hired anyone else for the role
0: and and that's why I kind of feel about his new film Valerian which I tried to go see today but I was late and if I caught Annette showing I wouldn't be able to get back here in time Uh, but the whole thing of Valerian it almost could be a follow-up to the film element but it does have way too many CGI going on there and it doesn't feel like a real world. Like, even though I, I I get that the fifth element, the world in there, is not a real world. But it feels real because, like Paul said there, they do add in a lot of practical effects to this. And a lot of, like, monster makeup um, to meld in with the CGI. Uh, that sequence, when Lilu jumps off the bridge to try to escape her captors. That's still a very effective scene. I know it's CGI, but I don't care. It still feels real because they actually did use real set pieces around the CGI. And that's one of the biggest problems I have with CGI is that they try to have the whole world be CGI. And that shouldn't be the case. The CGI should be used to enhance a scene, not be the whole scene.
1: Yeah, and it, there are some films where you can kind of get away with that, uh, like Sky Captain and the World of Tomorrow. Yeah, I get yeah. Away with it because it does literally make everything green screen, and everything gets added in later, kind of like uh, but, Sin City. As it's well. exactly like, very stylized. But yep. th- this this film wasn't quite that stylized, so there had to be so many physical elements in it for you to mm. really believe it. And that's the thing too. I know Valerian's based on like
0: a comic book, like a French comic book. So maybe it does match uh, the artwork of the comic book series. I don't know. Like, they they didn't. I'm just kind of judging it for what I've seen on trailers. I don't know anything about the movie. I'm hoping to see it soon. But there are other flicks I want to see in theaters more. So who knows? I, <laughs> I only have a little bit. I only have a limited amount of budget votes, so I can't go out there and see everything like I want to.
1: Yeah, I I was just going to say, the next Lupus film that I want to see is actually a film he made in 2010. It's called The Extraordinary Adventures of Adele Blanc-Sec. That is so good. And it looks fantastic, so I really want to see that soon. That is an excellent movie.
0: That That is so... I I, I was at a uh, a, a sci-fi comic book convention here in the Twin Cities, and they were playing it late at night at around, like... 12.30 12.30 in the morning, I was, like, trying kind to of wander around the rooms, and I see a screening for a movie from Luc Besson that has never been released, called The Adventures of Adele Blanche sec and I sat down, and it was a pretty good, decent size, you know, screen, you know, good, uh, 40-inch TV, and I was just memorized by that. That is, like, that, for me, is, like, one of the best, like, Indiana Jones... Mummy-style movie. If you enjoyed, like, the Indiana Jones trilogy and Brandon Fraser's Mummy, you will love this movie. Absolutely. It's a okay, very fun adventure.
1: I, now, yeah, I, I really have to say this now.
0: <laughs> I wish uh, I remembered uh, the name of the actress in this one, too, but, oh, oh, so beautiful. Yes.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I found out about this just looking into Luke Besson, and I saw the trailer, and I was like, um... Yeah, I'm watching this. Uh, just, it looks very much like something I would love. I, I, I wish the movie got a theatrical release because
0: uh, it's weird. A lot of the movies that Luc Besson mates in his native country, they don't come here as often. Like, Angel A is one of my other favorite movies of his. and I think it's just a beautiful black and white tale. It's a very short, like... 90 minute uh, movie about a guy who's down his luck uh, tries to commit suicide and he gets involved with his angel and she changes his life around. Seems like a simple, dumb premise, but it's actually very beautiful, beautifully shot. Uh, the black and white is stunning, it's not distracting, it's really good. Yeah, uh, Luke Besson always had like kind of a, a mid bay of styles there. And yet, he still produces, and you know, he writes for the taken movies. But when he actually does get behind the camera, you know, he does know how to put some, you know, eye popping visuals on there. So, yeah. Uh, any other uh, closing, <laughs> any other closing thoughts at all about the Fifth Element, or you know, these scenes in general?
1: Um, what the the editing that I ever say when I'm talking to someone that hasn't seen it is if you decide to sit down and watch it which i hardly recommend you need to bear in mind that this film knows what it is so you have to not expect it to be completely like serious in all respects because there are some very silly things in this and obviously we just talked about a very good scene but then you've also got the scene where the Trying to negotiate with the the bad guys that have captured the bridge, and then he just oh. goes in and he solves the situation. <laughs> which I'm not going to go any further for anyone else to seen it, but yeah, it's uh, it's very Bruce Willis, very like it's kind of John McClane if like John McClane just had had enough from the beginning he's just like, he's done, and they keep pulling him back, so it's like, okay, <laughs> uh, and that's what, the, that's who this film is based around, it's, it's, it's one. He, he genuinely has tried to get out. So, the guy
0: who says, we're sending someone in to negotiate, uh, that's, yeah, his, his name is Lee Evans, and he was the guy, yes, he is. <laughs> and there's something about Mary, who had all the glasses and walked with, it, walked with the canes and everything, and British accents yeah mm-hmm. I think that is going to wrap up this episode of the Cinema Recall podcast uh, I didn't talk to you about this before Paul and I apologize can you tell me a little bit more about the Blockbuster podcast and tell me you know what your show is about there tell me some upcoming episodes that you have on the way you know, <laughs> No, I like your I like your sure. french fried episodes so I, I want to hear about the new episodes that you and everyone was doing on
1: there Okay, Um, well, uh, I'll get to future episodes in a second, but basically the Blowbusters podcast is something that myself and my podcasting partner Brian started, because we really like talking about film, and we decided, hey, why not record ourselves doing that and put it out there, and so I already have a laptop, we bought a $60 mic, and we spend $10 a month on the server fees, and that's it, like, we, we... I taught myself how to edit all this, and we just talked about film, and now we're starting to talk about other things as well as film. We we've been tailoring it around our lives ever since. I, I now have an almost ten-month-old daughter, so the films that I can get out and see have become limited. So we've we've been kind of doing this, that, and the other when it comes to the main reviews. As you said, we do French Fried, which is where we're trying to prove the point that hollywood needs to stop just making sequels to films and start trying to look at other things so we review the latest film in a franchise we feel has gone on way too long and uh, we've done police academy we've done final destination we've done uh, friday the 13th and it's been a lot of fun doing that and also kind of difficult at times Uh, and then we also do film spotlight which is been really fun to do where we have people on to talk about a film that they love and a film that they hate and we just get to know the person while we're talking to them so it's it's really cool look into who these people are I find and with regards to future episodes I can't give you too much of a scoop here because I don't know really what the next episode is going to be because a lot of the times what we do is we'll record the episode we'll put them out and then it'll take us a few days and we'll just kind of go so what are we doing uh how about this one okay three days later we'll record it so (laughs) it's very kind of in the moment type thing but i do know that the next franchise we're going to do is going to be mission impossible okay really (laughs) yes because uh what we what we started doing now is we're going to do twitter polls uh after the the one where we we put up three different franchises. We've got a whole list. We're going to pick from that list three franchises and then there's going to be a Twitter vote on it. The one that wins the vote is going to be the next one and the one that's second place is going to be the one after that. So okay, we just did Final Destination. We're going to do Mission Impossible next and then we'll pick three more from there.
0: Well, I, I'm i very excited to see what the ones we're going to talk about which you're going to talk about on there. Okay. All right. All right. <laughs> Nice. I All going right. Let me talk about it. I I, I would love that. Um, yeah. <laughs> Speaking about polls here, because we always do polls on the Cinema Recall podcast. Our next episodes, we are going to play tribute to really great acting and Dretin talents that we lost this month. Uh, so yes, our poll is going to be on movies from George A. Romero and Martin Landau. And here are your five choices for movies oh. that we're going to do. We're going to do, for George A. Romero, I got to do Night of the Living Dead, Dawn of the Dead, and Day of the Dead. And then for Martin Landau, I'm going to do Crimes and Misdemeanors and Ed Wood. So, those, those, are five, well. <laughs> those are your five, those are going to be your five choices as between uh, George A. Romero and Martin Landau. I thought about maybe I thought about maybe doing two separate episodes, but that would be just too much of a downer, you know. So yeah. we'll definitely pay respect doesn't matter which one you choose, we'll definitely pay respects uh to both of them. Um also wanna pay my respects uh to the one of the seniors from Lincoln Park, uh Chester Burningham. Yeah, Chester Bennington. Who, I, what was that name?
1: It's Chester Bennington.
0: Bennington, I'm. Gosh, I my deepest apologies. My deepest condolences go out to his fans, uh, his friends, his family. Very tragic, tragic, right there. So, in fact, uh, yeah. we're gonna close out this episode by playing a song from Lincoln Park. So, as always, for the Simba Recall podcast, um, we are found on the site thatmomentin.com. You can listen to our show on iTunes on Stitcher Radio, on Podomatic, and I believe still on SoundCloud. While that site is still going on, <laughs> I'm not quite sure how long that's going to be, uh, but you can find us on there. You can always find out everything that's going on of That Moment In on Twitter, at That Moment In. Uh, we're also on Facebook, just in That Moment In. As for me, the Vern, I am at Video Vanguard. Paul, do me a favor, man. Uh, can you tell me everywhere they can find the Bloatbusters podcast? I know you say it's a like um, but Yeah,
1: it's uh, blokebusters.webs.com if you're going to the website because, hey, we don't have the money for com, And I know everyone okay. said, oh, it's only $10 a year or whatever. It's like we're on a serious budget here. <laughs> this is how we doing okay. this. Okay. Um, but yes, uh, our Twitter at Blokebusters, com slash Blokebusters. We're on Instagram at Blokebusters, which I'm really trying to keep going. I, I' Very late to the game in that respect. Uh, you can email us, podcast at gmail.com if you want to have like a really long conversation with us. Uh, so far nobody has done that, but feel free to be the first. I uh, might do that. I'm going to wanna... tip
0: the challenge. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, there we go. You can be our first proper email. Okay. Um, and then and then if you want to follow me on Twitter for whatever reason, uh, you can find me at his and hurricane, which is H I S A N D H E R R I C A N E and that's because my nickname is Hurricane and it was myself and my wife's Twitter before she decided she hated Twitter. So okay, it's now all mine. <laughs> And, and the only other thing I will say is, please do go and visit our, our network website, which is podbros.com, because they're fantastic guys. We've been a really happy member for a long time, and there's a bunch of great other shows there. So if you like us and what we do, and you want to see what else are in our network, please do stop by there and see what we have.
0: All right, folks, I think that's try kind to of wrap up things right now here. Uh, thank you all for listening. And go on to the site, thatmomentin.com, and just vote on what our next show will be about. Again, the choices are Night of the Living Dead, Dawn of the Dead, and Day of the Dead for George A. Romero. And for Martin Landau, the choices are Primes and Misdemeanors and Ed Wood. Alright, take care everybody.
2: When my time comes,